I sent my oldest son off to a youth retreat this weekend. He was hours away. And like at any time when I'm not with him, I really missed him. But with that great distance and for those several days, I was really feeling the disconnect. I'm so glad that he had his gab phone along. I was able to send him a quick text each evening to ask about his day and to tell him that I was praying for him. Have you heard of these things? The gab phones? That's gab, G-A-B-B. They look and feel a lot like a smartphone, but they aren't connected to the internet in any way. A user can call, they can text, take pictures, and even listen to music, but that's about it. With the Gab phone, I had peace of mind knowing that I could get a hold of my son all weekend, but that he didn't have access to the internet. And most importantly, the internet didn't have access to him. He wasn't scrolling social media or being sent shady photos from total strangers. He wasn't wasting time playing video games or being taken advantage of by cyber stalkers. If you too are interested in purchasing a regular cell phone that looks and feels like a smartphone for your kids, you can grab 30% off a Gab phone or a Gab watch right now. Head to GabWireless.com and use promo code mom to mom at checkout. That's capital letters. M-O-M-T-O-M-O-M. So once again, go to gabwireless.com and use promo code mom to mom Welcome to the mom to mom podcast. We're three generations of moms who've experienced nearly every season of motherhood. Of course, we don't have all the answers, but you can be sure that we'll always point you to the one who does. We're pouring a cup of coffee and we're chatting motherhood today. Pull up a chair. We're really glad you're here. Proverbs 17, 17 says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. Now, I used to think that that meant that my siblings were born to cause me trouble, but now I'm old enough to know it means that they're there to help me during the difficult times in life. Your siblings are hopefully the ones who will be there for you when everyone else abandons you. Think of Miriam and Moses in scripture. She watched over baby Moses on the riverbank to make sure that Moses didn't get eaten by crocodiles. And when Pharaoh's daughter found him, it was Miriam who brought his mother to be his nurse. And Aaron, Moses' brother, he was the one who spoke for Moses. Now, I didn't raise siblings as I had just one daughter, but I am a sibling. And although now grown and no longer living under the same roof, but I remember the days of living with two sisters and a brother and the squabbles and fights, the teasing and tantrums of those days all too well. It's not easy raising one child, let alone several. And the issues that come up when you have siblings are myriad. Every parent of more than one child will face sibling rivalry at some point, and they're going to bump up against how deeply sin is rooted in our nature, even in a three-year-old. Kids will fight. It's simply the way of the world, but we can't simply chalk it up to selfishness and that's just how kids are and hope they grow out of it. Selfishness is something every single one of us battles. Each of us has to learn self-control and to put others' needs first. There are practical things parents can do to stop the squabbling and fighting, the yelling, and the constant bickering. 
So today, Jamie September and I are going to talk about some of the strategies that have worked well over the years of parenting they've walked through. Remember, between them, they have 15 children, so they know sibling rivalry well. So ladies, let's talk about this today. I think it's a great, it's a great um, issue for our podcast. Is it normal for siblings to fight? And if so, why do you think siblings annoy each other so much? Well, you know, kids are kids, whether they are siblings or not, and whether they are the sweetest, kindest kids with even the best parents, there will always be conflict in the home. I think we should just probably say that right off the bat. Um, for anyone listening, thinking that maybe we all have conflict free homes, that is the farthest from the truth. <laughs> Amen. Um, <laughs> I think, of, <laughs> I think of our home. I like to think of our home as a, like a microcosm of the world. So we are just a small culture and we are living under the same house, but we're different people in different personalities. We're individuals, we're independent thinkers. Uh, so when we take all of those variables and we put them under one roof, there's bound to be sibling rivalry. Yeah, I think on the surface level here on this side of heaven, it is normal. But when we think of sibling rivalry in light of God's original design, nope, that's not God designed. Does it happen because we live in a world broken by sin? Absolutely. You know, you set foot into September or I's house and you'll see it take center stage because these are people who may or may not have anything in common other than bloodline. You know, I couldn't have ordered up more different kids than my five, but it's not by accident that God placed my kids together. And it's not by accident. He placed your kids together. And while sibling rivalry and fighting can be really super frustrating for us as parents. And while, you know, I wouldn't sign up to play referee to kids fighting in the backseat of my minivan, I can choose to see sibling squabbles as an opportunity for discipleship. You know, like, like September set, it's a microcosm. I like to think of it as the test lab of life. And, and let's look at it this way. I don't think it's by accident that God chose to place Jesus in a family and give him siblings. You know, he could have chose to send Jesus into any sort of situation on earth, but he placed him in a family because the brokenness and the selfishness and even the cruelty of siblings was where he would learn to minister first. That's where he, he tested all of those spiritual skills. Those relational skills were formed in childhood and it prepared him for the relationship and the impact that he'd have in, you know, his daily interactions and confrontations. And even later, the cruelty that sent him all the way to the cross that prepared him. And in some way, if we allow them to be these years with their siblings, can be a really good trial run and training ground for our kids too. When their patience is tested by, you know, the pesky younger brother or sister, when their desire for justice is, is pushed to the limits. And when it looks like portions are fairly tipped to the other side or for others, maybe even when they have to say, I'm sorry, or I forgive you, they're learning life skills 
that the world actually needs more of. And they're learning it right here in the comfort and the safety and in the umbrella of home. That's such a great point, Jamie. I hadn't thought about that, that Jesus was raised with siblings. I mean, I thought about it, but I hadn't thought about it in that way as a child dealing with all the things that our kids deal with, all the jealousies and the contention and the fights. He had to deal with that too and do it in a sinless way. So, I mean, imagine just little Jesus, little, little, you know, two-year-old, three-year-old, five-year-old, 10-year-old Jesus dealing with all the things our kids deal with. That's a really great way to just to kind of picture that in our minds and, and see that. I'm going to have to ponder that and think about that. So ladies, what do you do when you discover two of your children yelling at each other or fighting or involved in some sort of ugly disagreement? How do you, how do you handle it? Because I know you've still got young ones at home. Well, even with maybe your, your 10-year-olds or 12-year-olds, what do you do? How do you handle it? Give our, give our listeners some tips. Or 17 and 18 year olds. (laughs) 17 and 18 year olds. Yeah, true. Well, of course, you know, my first inclination is to stop the conflict or the disagreement. And then, you know, my next inclination is to separate them. But depending on the age of the conflict and the rivalry going on in our home, because we have multiple ages, I ask them first what happened. I don't just like intervene with a preconceived idea and notion and try to break it up on what I think has happened. Um, so the first thing I do, depending on the age is I ask them what happened. Of course, that doesn't work very well with really little ones because they're not going to tell you what happened. They're living in the moment. Um, and then I get both sides of the story and I begin asking questions. Sometimes though, I reprimand depending on the actions that are associated with their personal responses to one another. So sometimes I'm actually addressing their reactions rather than the source of the conflict at first. And then oftentimes I go straight to the root of the problem. But most generally, I encourage um, the kids in our home to find the solution on their own or to answer my questions so that I can help them understand how their actions and reactions were often way beyond what the actual conflict was. A lot of times when there's a sibling rivalry, um, it's almost masking what really happened. It escalates quickly. They um, have ideas and thoughts about one another, and it's hard to get down to what really happened. So some of the things that we've taught our children in non-conflict moments in our home, and I've talked about these before, I think on our podcast episodes, are to attack the problem and not the person. So I've encouraged my kids when there's a problem, you know, talk about the problem. Don't talk about the person um, and their problems. Uh, The second thing that we talk about in the non-conflict moments is to act and not react. Uh, A lot of times our reactions actually become bigger than um, solving a problem. The third thing that we talk about in those non-conflict days and moments are to be honest, Sometimes, unfortunately, with sibling rivalry, a truth will be twisted just enough. It's really hard to get down to what the conflict was truly about. And two more, uh, keep current. Most often, uh, there's a conflict and a reaction that happened before that is often coming up that causes a bigger problem than what really happens because they haven't let it go or they never dealt with something from the past. And so it causes the problem to be bigger than it is. And then two more things, I guess, to own their own part um, in the conflict. Um, Everyone has a part. So, 
you know, if you were the one who overreacted and you were really the one who caused the problem, just own it, just say it. And then it's over. And then last, I just really encourage them to restore their relationship with one another and not just find a resolution. That's really, really important. So there's just some things that I do um, in the middle of a conflict. I ask questions and I go straight to the root. Sometimes though, I encourage them to um, find the answer on their own. And then those practical things are things that I do in the non-conflict moments so that I'm giving them the tools to prepare for natural sibling rivalry. It really will happen. So I want them to be prepared. I think that when you mentioned not bringing past conflict into this conflict, boy, oh boy, does most of humanity need to still learn that lesson. I think that's a very important point to bring up. You know, you're, you're dealing with the issue at hand, so you don't bring other past wrongs to this particular moment. Because that does, like you said, it just shows that they haven't fully forgiven or restored that relationship from the previous incident. I'll only add two quick things. I think one, when you're dealing with really little kids, you have to provide specific verbiage for them. You know, um, what do you say when you are frustrated with your sibling instead of saying, you know, I hate you or, you know, pushing them down or taking the toy? What are some specific things that you can say? And then to the other sibling, when you hear these words, here's what you can do. So actually giving them some um, step-by-step guide because they're not going to naturally know you know, what to say in the moment. So given, giving them almost like a script. The second thing is, um, as your kids get older, at, at least I should say, as my kids get older, I actually try for the most part to stay out of it. Obviously there's times when I need to intervene, but I think too often when parents jump in to play mediator, it doesn't really allow the children to problem solve. It fosters kind of that tattling mindset, which just ends up multiplying the time spent intervening. You know, you hear about every little thing. And I think it often forces a parent to choose sides, you know, which only exacerbates the frustration of one child and then therefore can plant seeds of jealousy in the heart of the other one. So one thing that my husband and I try to do as our kids get older, now this isn't a tool maybe for really young kids, but as they're in those tween and teen years to bring them to the Matthew 18 model. And it's found in verses 15 through 17. It's, it's how you handle confrontation when you're upset. So basically that model says, before you come and tell me about it, you go and tell your sibling about it. Have you gone to them about it? You're upset in the moment. Have you gone to your sibling and actually voice that frustration in love to them? Have you shown them enough kindness to let them know how they hurt you and to allow them to make restitution. Now that's a lot of words. I don't say that every time, but basically I just said, I just say, why are you bringing it to me when you have, when you are frustrated and upset with your sibling? So why don't you go and try to restore that relationship? And if after you have gone to them and that relationship still is broken, then as scripture says, you can bring me along as that additional voice. Yeah, that's great advice, Jamie. I love that. I think that's really wise. Well, what do you do when one sibling wants to blame the other for what happened? Are they both responsible for the problem or does only one get punished? Man, finger pointing and blame shifting started all the way back in the garden, didn't it? So, (laughs) you know, we can't be surprised when our kids do it too. Yeah. 
Yeah. I like to think in our home and I've told my kids this, that blame is like a two-edged sword. You know, if someone is innocent, it is usually very apparent, but sometimes the guilty party is the one to point the blame actually. Mm. And so sometimes conflict is just a result of selfishness or dishonesty. And this goes way beyond sibling rivalry. So um, for me, it's really important to get to the root. And when people can begin to blame, I have to really sit down and realize either someone's not telling the truth or the person blaming someone is usually guilty. Why else would the innocent person have a reason to blame someone? So I try to get my kids to think about this so that they can realize the power, the power of their words and actions, Um, you know, because falsely accusing someone is just so wrong. And that's a life principle. And that's really what blame is. So, you know, in our home, uh, this has happened numerous times and it sometimes has taken us days to get to the root of the problem. And I have to be truly honest and say, sometimes we never really discovered who was quote unquote at fault. And that really grieved me and saddened me. But in the end, you know, years later, it's interesting. It comes up with my older children that they either resolved it themselves you know, and just didn't tell me, or really there wasn't anyone to blame. It was just conflict. It was just a rivalry between them. So as parents, we just get so weary of the rivalry and conflict. I think that we just think someone should be at fault so we can fix this and move on that, you know, sometimes there's just not a punishment or a consequence. Well, when kids are fighting, we often just want to get them to stop. But what's our ultimate goal in this? I mean, it's more than simply getting over the moment of contention and fighting. But how can we use the time to restore sibling connection and communion for kingdom purposes? You know, I find sibling rivalry or any conflict in my home to be an eye opener. Um, I've shared the story in some of my speaking engagements, and I'll just share it here again. Uh, when my middle group of three children out of our 10 uh, were babysitting the youngest group, um, my husband and I went away for a few hours. And within the first 15, 20 minutes, I got a phone call from one of my older daughters. And I think she may have been maybe 19 and already moved out of the house. So she came back to babysit and she called me and she said, Hey, I'm having this problem with uh, so-and-so and I just can't believe their behavior. And um, I told her, thank you so much. I'm really glad that actually this came up because they don't act like this a lot when I'm home. She was kind of shocked that I was happy about it, but it w- was really an eye opener. I was really able to see um, what was going on. So my ultimate goal isn't to fix the symptoms, is to get to the root of the problem. So I was really happy to for those things to be exposed. Um, you know, and I teach always in our home the character root of of conflict and civil rivalry and the opposite. So these opportunities give us a time to give them the I cans to good character that will help them avoid the conflict again. But the thing about sibling rivalry is that it's usually not just one bad thing that is causing the conflict. It could be maybe these things, maybe your kids are just spending too much time together. And that sounds crazy, doesn't it? But sometimes kids get tired of being with with one another and it's okay to separate them. So things like this that we kind of overlook, maybe it could be too much time spent together. Maybe it could be a lack of boundaries, uh, whether it's with toys or things that we have failed to set up. Uh, Maybe it could be a lack of sleep or comparison. It could be a number of minor issues 
but left unchecked, those things lead to bigger issues. So I like to take the whole picture into consideration when it comes to sibling rivalry so that um, they can have connection. And like you said, Kate, communion for kingdom purposes, because I tell my children, if you can't love one another really well in the home now, then you will never be able to love other people when you leave our home because there will be other people you will face the same scenarios with tight office spaces, people deceiving you, people doing something you don't like, like all of those things are the world. So for me, um, my kingdom vision and outlook in that is just to help them through and navigate through this at home. So I don't see it as always something negative. Sometimes sibling rivalry for us is exhausting, but it's not always something negative to me. It's just another opportunity. Right. It really brings things to the surface that would otherwise just sort of boil underneath the surface and never be brought up in order that you can give it proper attention. Because that selfishness, you know, the roots of um, selfishness, the roots of um, bitterness of, you know, any number of things will eventually come out with someone else. But at least now, while it obviously it's, it's very um, sometimes annoying as a parent to have siblings fighting, it's never convenient while it's not the easiest thing to deal with, at least you're getting an opportunity to, to deal with it while you can. I think in light of, of kingdom work, we all should remember that barring the Lord have other plans, our kids will outlive us and they will be here on earth together. And their relationship together is actually going to last longer than our relationship with them. And so if we can remember that um, and have that be the end goal, that they're, they're going to have this relationship for the rest of their lives. And we have just this short time to nurture these relationships so that they do continue on long after us. I think of, of Andrew in scripture and his brother, Peter, you know, they had such a lovely adult relationship that when Andrew was introduced to the Messiah. Who did he want to run and tell about first mm -hmm. his brother, Peter. Mm -hmm. And that should be our goal that, yeah. you know, these, these sibling, these moments of sibling rivalry that we can, can look at them as some training ground to nurture those good relationships so that as they have years and years and miles and miles ahead of themselves, um, with each other, they will love each other so well that something as simple as meeting the savior, you just want to turn around and tell your sibling about it. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, that is a great example of Andrew and Peter. Well, when your kids are fighting, what kind of consequences do you have for that? What sort of punishments do you ladies allow? You know, in our home, usually we have the consequence match the offense. So if someone has taken something, then the consequence will, of course, match that. It's usually not a straight across the board punishment or consequence for fighting or um, hitting or taking or arguing. And um, so in the punishment, honestly, I have found this to be the truest of truths. The punishment, and I use the word punishment very loosely, I should say the, oh, the consequence of humility 
like when a child or even ourselves uh, are coming to another person in true humility, that to me is true restoration. And I sometimes don't even give a consequence and punishment because true humility is very visible. Um, it's hard to be humble. It's hard to come to that place. And when a child does that, uh, you know, depending on the seriousness of the offense, but for, for my children, when they are truly humble and I know that they've been, um, you know, broken or upset or sad that their actions cause such a conflict, then of course, you know, they're going to come to restoration with their sibling. And so the, the punishment or the consequence in our home is usually either, you know, off the table or something more minor, because that's a big deal. I want my children to know that's a big deal. That is a great indicator and a, a great litmus test. Yeah. Well, like September, I don't think there's one blanket answer here. You know, if you're, if you're looking for the silver bullet, you're not going to find it because the punishment has to fit the crime. And when we use a universal punishment for all fighting, we're actually not discipling, we're punishing. There's a difference between disciple and discipline and punishment. When you, when you do that and you just have this blanketed um, punishment for all sibling rivalry, you're not really addressing the root problem. You're just trying to take a quick resolve. But that kind of response never trains a child for the long term. It just, like I often say, helps you get through Walmart faster. So I just want to give you an example because I know that mom's listening. You want the brass tacks. What's going to help you? What's that quick tool that's going to help you in the moment? So let me give you an example of when your kids are fighting over a toy or I should say when my kids are fighting over a toy, my knee jerk reaction would be to tell them to quote unquote share, but I'm actually a firm believer that sharing is often a lazy statement. We tell them to share and then develop this elaborate system to make the sharing equal. Like, you know, you get it for 10 minutes and then he gets it for 10 minutes. And as shocking as it sounds, it's that's not always a biblical concept, at least not in the context of two kids fighting over something. You're setting your kids up to think that life is always about fairness. And in that, they grow to expect it. And then they really struggle with a bad attitude later on as an adult when they experience the unfairness of life. You're setting the stage basically for an impossible scenario by having them, quote unquote, share that toy. Just think about the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 for a second. The master in that story, he didn't give all three servants the same amount of money to take care of because it wasn't about being fair. It was about what was right and what was best. And those two things, right and best and fair, are not the same things. Each scenario has to be taken into consideration and weighed accordingly. For instance, the other day, um, it was my middle son's birthday. He opened up his present, which was a set of Legos. And immediately his younger brother wanted to build the set because it was flashy. It was the new thing. Who wouldn't want to build that brand new Lego set? Would it have been okay and right for me to say, okay, birthday boy, you play with the brand new Legos for 10 minutes and then let your younger brother have a turn? Well, it may have been fair, but it wouldn't have been right. And it wouldn't have been honoring to my middle son who just received that gift and wanted to enjoy it. Now, eventually he did allow his younger brother to join him in the play, but then the sharing was actually sincere. It wasn't coerced by me. 
I think scripture is filled with all kinds of verses that encourage the type of sharing that is given freely without expectation or anything in return. Like if you have something that someone needs, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to give it freely. But for the most part, when we use that term share with our kids, we're not actually using it the same way that scripture uses it. The other child doesn't usually need the item, and it usually isn't given freely, as in, here, it's yours, take it. So insisting on sharing, we're actually training our kids in half-hearted giving. You know, they don't usually sign up to share. They don't usually want to do that. They might do it because they feel forced into it, but that's not giving freely. When we insist that a child relinquishes a toy, the moment another child demands it, the first child isn't actually sharing because it's not necessarily giving out of the generosity of his heart. He's being forced to do something that he doesn't want to do. And so sharing is actually then seen as a bad thing. You know, the kid grows bitter every time he has to hear that word share. And on the flip side, the other child learns that if he wants something, he can have it when he wants it whether or not someone else has it or not. And he never learns the value of waiting. He becomes the selfish one that just demands it. The other thing I think we need to remember is that we often demand more of our kids than we demand of ourselves. We all have items, if we think about it, we all have items that we value. And then that unless someone is truly in need of it, we'd never just freely share it with them. Like take my wedding ring, for instance. Kate could ask to wear it, but Kate, if you ask me, I'm going to tell you no every single time. And yet I, I should expect my kids to always share all of their everything. I think it's okay to allow your kids to set extra special items aside. Like let's say before a play date, if they, like my son, if he got that Lego set and he's been building it and he wants to just safeguard it. I think mm-hmm. it's okay to let him set it aside before a play date so that he knows that's safeguarded. I think kids are more apt to be generous with their things when, when they know that their important items are being kept safe and that you've honored their feelings for those items. So sharing in a biblical sense is right, but we have to examine how we define sharing and does it line up with the free giving that we see in scripture. And I'd argue that most oftentimes it doesn't. Such a good point, Jamie. And and it's making me think that the the scripture you mentioned, it's reminding me of the landowner in scripture who hires the the different men at different times of the day, but he pays them the same amount. And the ones at the end of the day get the same amount as the ones hired at the beginning of the day. And the men at the beginning of the day are mad because the guys at the end are getting the same amount, but they both agree. They all agreed to the same amount. And it's, it's really interesting. That is such a good point. I hope that the moms that are listening are really taking to heart what you said, because I think that could really change a lot of hearts on that concept of sharing. Cause we're always saying you've got to share, you've got to share, but it, it, I think it ends up creating a lot more selfishness ultimately, rather than the concept of you listen, some things it, it is okay to, to hold on to, you know, I mean, I think ultimately we want to be generous, but you want it to come from the heart, right? You don't want it to, to be this obligation all the time, because then it just 
creates bitterness ultimately. And like, oh, darn it, I have to share again, rather than, hey, little brother, little sister, go ahead, you take a turn. There is definitely something to be said about teaching our kids to have open-handedness. You know, sure. you, you, we never want them to hold anything on this side of heaven so tightly. But again, that sharing that we see in scripture was born out of a need. And mm-hmm. most of the time, the kids that want to play with the toy doesn't need it. And we're just giving in to their really selfish demand to have it right, right. now, you know? And often they're throwing a tantrum or screaming or yelling or upset or whatever, because they want it right now. And giving into that is not a good thing either. Right. I think what it boils down to is we live in a culture that demands fairness. And I can talk at, yes. at length about this in other areas of life, but I think that we need to be real cautious about fair and equal in our home because fair and equal is not always right or best. Imagine the world change that would take place if we moms did the knee-bending work of prayer for our homes. If we spent just as much time praying as we do providing perfect childhoods, perfect days, perfect dinners. Our kids need perfection, that's true, but it won't ever be found in us. That's a gift only Jesus can lavish on them. If Kate, September, and I could encourage you in just one thing, it would be prayer. Nothing will be more powerful in the life of your kids and in your relationship with them than bringing them to the throne of the all-powerful one who can move heaven and earth on their behalf. To help direct your thoughts to specific prayer points found in Scripture, we've put together a month-long series of prayer cards called 30 Days of Prayer for My Child. Each card contains a prayer theme, a verse that correlates with that theme, and a brief sample prayer to help you call upon God to be faithful to His Word in light of your kids. To grab a set of your own, head to September & Co. Shop on Etsy. Pray for your kids today, because if you're not praying for them, who will be. Well, to change it up a little bit, I know that sibling rivalry, it's not always two kids fighting over something. Sometimes it involves competition or comparison or jealousy between siblings, especially as they get older. You get those two older kids, maybe, you know, the 14 and the 16 year old, and they're both trying out for sports teams and one gets on and one doesn't, or, you know, that just those, those, those types of competitions of jealousies and and those things. How do you navigate that as parents if you start to see those things bubbling up, especially in the teen and preteen years? Well, because we have a lot of kids in that age category now, and it seems like we always have those home ages in our homes every year, I guess I should say. Um, Some of the things that we've worked on in our home are to cheer one another on in, you know, our strengths and our differences. So when we have a family meeting and there's something that comes up in this area, maybe it's comparison and the competition, I really want my kids to be able to see one another's strengths as a good thing. And that also when they have weaknesses, it's not something they're rubbing in as well and lording over their strengths, over their siblings. So I think teaching um, children, teens, preteens, middlers, compassion for the differences that we all have is a a key ingredient. Uh, Sometimes people want to be something or do something that someone else can do that happens in the home. 
And um, so instead of just saying, well, sorry, you can't do it because you're not good at this, it's teaching compassion and, and helping our children with words and actions to cheer one another on from simple things like playing connect four and knowing that your sibling isn't good at learning the game and saying, Hey, if you put a red checker here, you know, you might be able to win. Did you see that move? You know, that's encouraging teamwork. That's encouraging someone's weaknesses. That's cheering them on. The person who has the strength doesn't always have to win. Doesn't always have to be better. And that's from simple board games all the way up to succeeding, going to college. Um, you know, I think this is key. We have birthdays in our home where everyone gathers, we go around the table and everyone takes a turn, every single person. It takes a long time. There's usually 20, 25 of us. Um, and each person says for the birthday person, something that um, they appreciate about that person and something they admire about that person. Um, you know, it's usually a character trait and then a great memory. And doing that is just really good for all of us to think better of somebody else. Um, then we also discuss what the root of jealousy is and envy and really talking biblically and maybe talking about families we know with examples of the destruction it can cause. Um, and then of course, in our home, I think it's really important, especially with what's going on in the world to talk about pride. Um, a lot of times sibling rivalry comes down to pride and identifying really how just God made us all uniquely. Uh, sometimes it's important for siblings to, to remember that, that we're all not going to be the same and that it's our job to um, not always be competing with their siblings. I, you know, I really, really have encouraged my, especially my daughters, um, because this is a catty world. And I say that to them a lot, that phrase, especially when girls get older and go out into the world, I tell them, you will always be one another's best friends, but you're going to have to work at it because not everyone will always be that for you. So work hard at that now. And that's something we work on diligently here in our house. So it's, maybe that's just a good principle of, um, you know, words that you can use in your home when you're talking to your kids to remind them that they have the ability to always be their sibling's best friend. That's a great point, September. Well, now this is, this is a tough one because there are times when an older child will bully a younger child. Hopefully you girls have never experienced that, but you may know someone that has, but what do you advise in that situation? If you find that that's happening, what can you advise our listeners to do? Well, I don't know. Jamie might have more to say on this. I just have three words for this is absolutely not allowed in my home. Yeah, I don't give an inch for name calling or bullying between siblings. And on the flip side, I also do my best to be just as consistent about giving no place for younger siblings pestering. You know, as in, oh, he's only trying to get a rise out of you. Just ignore him. Because when else do we say that in society? If somebody was trying to get a rise out of me by, you know, bopping me over the head with a plastic baseball bat, as an adult, I wouldn't stand for that. So I don't know why <laughs> I, I would expect my you know, nine-year-old to stand for that. Again, we expect more from our kids than we do from ourselves. Yeah, that's a great point. Well, you know, the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy sibling relationships by any means possible. So what are some ways we can foster sibling love? Some ways as moms that we can encourage strong sibling relationships? I feel like 
a lot of times, you know, we have concepts about siblings and loving one another, but I really feel it's important for us to teach our kids how to do that, what it looks like. And so I have tried really hard in our home and I'm not always successful at this to help have my children learn how to serve one another. Usually if you're serving someone, um, you will end up, you know, loving them enough to do it. And it becomes more natural, which really cuts out a lot of the conflict of competition and comparison and having angst towards someone else, even from a young age. Um, I really have encouraged my kids to understand the differences in their siblings, because if there's something I've really noticed, especially if my, as my kids have gotten older, uh, and, and maybe anyone will listening isn't in this place, but you will see this because your kids are learning to not have a lot of conflict between one another. You're constantly like the heart police. I, I like to say mm-hmm. what happens is when they leave the home and they're more distant from one another, whether it's location or um, relationship and communication, they forget that they are living different lives and they're different people. When you're living in the same home, you know, everyone is kind of the same, but different. And so therefore things begin to enter your mind or you begin to think differently about that person. And therefore conflict arises because the communication is lacking. And so I've told my children, current constant communication is so key in every sibling relationship. If something comes up, even when you're living in this home as teenagers and little kids, and you are feeling a certain way about something, you go talk to them about it. You go, you go talk and you ask them instead of just assuming, uh, because when you have multiple siblings, as in our case, they, that you could find that they may talk to each other. And that's the last thing you want to do is see this, you know, ganging up of siblings against one another. So constant current communication, um, serving one another. I, th- I think something that is really beautiful that I've seen in our home, and I've encouraged this is to share some time in different activities that different personalities enjoy. So a lot of times, you know, one child may love going for a a bike ride and another person enjoys watching Pride and Prejudice. You know, I have a lot of girls in this home. So one sibling is, you know, maybe I can't stand the thought of sitting and watching that movie. All she does is quote it through the whole movie. And then someone gets up and storms out and someone says, she just loves to go on bike rides. It's so long. I'm just so bored. Who wants to see a waterfall? And so I encourage them to do something out of their comfort zone and sharing time in different activities so that they can grow to really appreciate that person because you really get to know someone when you do something that's not in your wheelhouse. doesn't mean they're doing this all the time, but I think that's something key. It's just about the um, humility. We have a lot of family meetings uh, that where we have discussions about these things. Something, two more things that we've done in our home is letter writing. Sometimes I'll encourage my kids to write one another a letter um, when they've had a conflict, whether it's an apology or I appreciate you. And sometimes I have them give it to me and I keep it. And sometimes I have them just give it to the, their sibling. We did this a lot when they were little and they had a hard time with words, of course. So I said, I really want you to draw a picture of why you love your sibling. And sometimes it was on a swing set or walking the dog or something, you know, it made them recall why they love their sibling. I think, I think we lose sight of that. And then of course, for us, the last thing um, 
that we as moms can encourage strong sibling relationships is loyalty. And I, and I mentioned that earlier, I want my children to remember that these people that surround them can be their most loyal cohorts in life. The people that cheer them on, encourage them, or they could not be. And it's really what they do with the relationship as they grow that will determine that. I think the biggest key in your question, Kate, is the word foster. You know, September and I started this by saying our homes are not perfect. There is plenty of sibling rivalry going on. So as we've shared today, don't think that, you know, we have these answers. So we've got the whole thing zipped up tight. Foster is a continual action. So we are fostering sibling relationships daily. And it's a and it's an ongoing, ever-present job that we'll be doing, you know, to the end of our days, even as, you know, and September can attest to that, even as our kids launch and they become grown adults. September, I bet you are still fostering sibling relationships. And it is an active action verb. Mm-hmm. You know, I can think back and maybe I've shared this story on the podcast before. And if I have, I'm sorry, but I can think back to a time when my oldest daughter and my, one of my middle boys was really at odds with each other. And it was a season of constant struggle because those two have such differing personalities. She's kind of a, a typical firstborn, you know, type a likes to have things in order And he is a typical middle child who likes things at the opposite end of order. And she just really struggled to see things from his point of view. And she came to me one day and said, in all honesty, mom, I, I love him, but I don't always like him. And I don't know what to do about that. So this is what I told her. I gave her this verse, Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Now we typically assume that this verse is only referring to a person's finances, but it's actually just referring to any kind of investment where your treasure is, your heart will be there. An investment can come in many forms. So when you pray for your enemy, or in this case, your sibling that you don't always like, your heart will naturally begin to soften towards them. When you spend time with the person, you can't help but form a special connection with them. So that investment of time helps you lean towards them. Your heart might not always lean in that direction right away, because as I said at the beginning, sometimes these are just people with very different personalities who just happen to share blood. But when you invest in them, your heart will naturally begin to turn their way. And that's what I told her. And so she determined that she was going to um, begin to pray for him and begin to invest in some of his passions, one of which is coin collecting. And so she made it a priority um, when she got her license that she would take him to the bank once a week to go um, buy a box of, you know, pennies or nickels or something so that he can weed through them and look for all the good gems. And every week she's committed to doing that. And she's stuck with that commitment. And I can see slowly, little bit by little bit, how that relationship has formed a special bond that she really doesn't have with any of her other siblings because she made the investment in him. 
I love that. That's a beautiful story, Jamie. Well, we know that sibling rivalry is as old as Cain and Abel, Jacob and Esau, and Mary and Martha, and it's not going anywhere anytime soon. But as September and Jamie shared today, there's much we as Christian parents can do to combat it and bring harmony into our homes and foster good relationships between our children. I hope today's episode gave you some great tips for your own families. You know, today marks the last episode of our third season, and we are thrilled that you've joined us and are supporting the Mom to Mom podcast. Whether you're a brand new listener or a veteran Mom to Mom follower, we are so honored you're here. And we hope that our episodes are blessing you and helping you as you raise your children. And more than that, we hope our words are consistently pointing you to Christ, the main reason we're here. We'll be taking a little break for the month of August, but we'll be back in September with lots of new episodes, and we hope you'll spread the word about our podcast to your friends and follow us on Instagram and Facebook, and if you have a minute, give us a rating and a review, and during the month of August, hey, feel free to go back and listen to our episodes. We've got three seasons worth of wonderful episodes. But you're going to have to like chew the bones. No. (laughs) (laughs) Don't do that. (laughs) Don't do that. Yeah. You know, I think for the moms listening. All the bread people do their bread thing from that book. So for the mom listening, they'll pay attention to what you do, not what you say. No. For the moms listening. For the children. Oops, hold on a second. Oh, we, we have our house guests outside throwing rocks at the we window. Are they on don't a know. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> to the moms listening. I don't know, girls. How many years have we been moms? Oh, gosh. If we put it all together, it's a lot. It's probably over 100. Well, maybe <laughs> not that many, but close. <laughs> our guests today are. Our guests today, try that again, can't say my asses. Our guests today are, our guests today. Are you done? Okay. Okay. (laughs) Poor Jamie will be done fairly soon.